1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they call these books the pastoral epistles. Not because they picture pastoral scenes with green pastures. They call these books the pastoral epistles because they were written to pastors and for pastors. So you could say that these books, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that we're about to launch into for the next few weeks, are the very first textbook for pastors. And every seminary that trains pastors worth their salt will spend time in these books. So for sure we can say about this sermon series that we're calling Essential Gospel that this is invaluable for me, myself, and I. <laughs> but they're invaluable for you too. I can prove it to you from the books themselves that these books, although they are written for pastors and to pastors, that they are actually also for you. Give these books a quick read. Do it sometime this week, maybe later today. Give these books a quick read, and what you'll find that, yes, the Apostle Paul does direct much of the book to Timothy. But then, in the blink of an eye, he will address people like mothers, and wives, and fathers, and slaves, as if he wanted everyone in Christian congregations not just pastors, to read these books. These books are for you, too. But really, the reason why I think that these books are invaluable, not just to me, but also to you, is for the sake of the gospel. That's why. You know, it's almost been 499 years, almost to the day, when Martin Luther began his Reformation. And even good Catholics would say that the church in that day needed an absolute Reformation because the society of the day and the church of the day was selling a cheap gospel of indulgences. And they were telling lies and half-truths about who God is and about God's love and His mercy. And so the church needed to return to the teaching of the apostles, to the essential gospel. And now that 500 years have passed, much has changed, hasn't it? Much has changed in the Christian church, and much has changed in the world so that the half-truths and the lives, lies and the half-gospels have changed immensely. But the true gospel, we would say, the essential gospel hasn't changed. Not one word of it. And we're going to return to it in this sermon series. And we're going to understand it. We're going to impress this gospel on our hearts. Are you ready for it? Today, we're going to hear the Apostle Paul's own personal testimony about how the, how the gospel worked in his life. Please listen to it and open up your bulletins there to page 8. We're going to get started in this sermon series. 
Here's what the Apostle Paul says. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. That he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. They say that sometimes it's better just to rip the band-aid right off. And you know why they say that? It's because if, if you rip the band-aid off slowly, then, then the hairs on your arms or whatever it is really, really hurt. So they say just rip it off. That's what we're going to do this morning. I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. Or I could give you another example. Football's starting today. I remember my friend in a game that we were playing dislocated his shoulder. And the trainer went up to him and didn't say anything like, are you ready for this because I'm about to put your shoulder back. He just goes up to him and he jerked his arm up and the shoulder went, right back in. I'm not going to ask you if you're ready for this. Because nobody's ready to face pain. We're going to put your shoulders back in the joint this morning. And consider the source before I inflict pain on you. Consider the source that it's coming from your pastor and I love you very, very much. We're going to put your shoulders back in the joint. Now, somewhere along the line, we lost our awareness of sin. Don't get me wrong, I think we still have those moments, those David and Bathsheba kind of wake up in the morning moments when we finally come to the realization that I am the worst of sinners and I stand in the presence of a holy God, we have those moments, but I would say that those moments are few and far between. And with great regularity, I think this is what happens. Maybe you can tell me later that I'm wrong, but I think we go to church and we wonder as we step into God's presence, I wonder if I have anything to confess this week. What in the world did I do wrong this last week? I'm not quite sure, and we scratch our heads. Somewhere along the line, we lost our awareness of guilt and sin. And as a result of that, we sing psalms like Psalm 51, a penitential psalm, and we wonder, what in the world is David talking about when he says, my sin is always before me? 
What does he mean? And somewhere along the line, as we lost our awareness of sin and guilt, we got to hymns like, Chief of Sinners Though I Be. And it stopped resonating with us. And we could blame the melody, I suppose, and say, well, the melody is kind of old. It's like 500 years old. We should sing an updated melody. And then I'd love to sing the hymn, but I don't think that's the reason why it doesn't resonate. Maybe it's because really we'd like to change the title to Chief of Sinners, Though They Be. Because it's easy enough for us to point out the sins of others And if we're really honest, it's everybody who's on the other side of the political spectrum that are the sinners, right? But not us. We've lost our awareness of sin and guilt. You know, for all all you parents out there, you're going to understand this. This last week we went back to school and I was taking my daughter to school on the first day And on Queens Boulevard, there was a truck who had crossed the crosswalk line just a little bit. And there was a a woman walking across Queens Boulevard, and she decided to just start yelling at the truck driver. What are you doing, she said. (laughs) Back up. So you know what the truck driver did? He lays on his horn, and he starts yelling at her, and then she decided to up it one, and she said, I'm going to have you deported, (laughs) and then the light turned green, the truck driver left, and she continued merrily on her way. You know what I doubt happened? I don't think either one of them lost any sleep over that little interaction. I don't. I don't think any one of them, either one of them, went home and and began to pray through Psalm 51 and said, Oh Lord, my sin is before me. I was a jerk. I don't think anyone went home and opened up their Lutheran hymnal and began to sing, Chief of Sinners, though I be... I don't think that happened. The point is this. We have lost the awareness of sin and guilt in that everything that we do is done in the presence of of a holy God. The reason why I say all of this is because how then could we possibly understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, I am the worst of sinners? How can we get it? And I want to point something out to you. Many people just assume, oh, the Apostle Paul is talking about what he did in the past. He was a murderer. He was a blasphemer. He was a violent offender. He hurt people just because of what they believed. And he did all of that. But listen to what he's saying. He's not saying, I was 
the worst of sinners. He's saying it in the present tense. I am the worst of sinners. Or to say it another way, I think the Apostle Paul knew what the psalmist David was saying in Psalm 51 when the psalmist wrote, my sin is always before me. And I think the Apostle Paul, if the hymn would have been written, he gladly would have sang, chief of sinners though I be. I think the Apostle Paul had a great awareness of his sin and guilt in the present tense. And remember that this guy is one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. He had a a faith that I envy. He had a kind of life that I wish that I had. And yet he could come to the conclusion, I am the worst of sinners. You know why he's condemning himself? He's condemning himself not necessarily because he was a violent offender, but because sometimes he's grumpy. For the little stuff. He condemned himself not because he was a violent and blasphemer in the past, but because in the present, sometimes he thought, my faith is lacking. It was for the little things. And as he looked at the little things, he was able to come to the spirit-led conclusion, I am the worst of sinners. I said that we were going to put your arms back in joint. Ready for this? Never ready for it. This sermon series, this Word of God today, the books, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, are only for sinners. That's it. They're only for sinners. This sermon series, in other words, is for parents who dropped their kids off for the first day at school and thought, wow, they're growing up fast. Have I always been there for him or her? And you know that you haven't been. And the guilt is there. This sermon series is for husbands and wives who would never dream of cheating. And... They won't even entertain a look at someone else other than their spouse. But they don't enjoy a rich spiritual life at home. And they know that their communication hasn't been the best. And they rarely pray together, except on Sundays. This sermon series is for sinners. It's only for sinners. This sermon series is for the employee who cares more about their fantasy football team and its success than the bottom line of their company. And they know that there's something wrong with that. And this sermon series is for Christians 
who know that they ought to have a deeper relationship with their Lord, but their prayer life is dry. The sermon series is only for sinners who only do the little things wrong, who are finally coming to the conclusion that I too am, in the present tense, the worst of sinners. But really, all of this Word of God is for you. Because we've only focused on one phrase. You notice that? We've only focused on one phrase so far. I am the worst of sinners. We have to look at the whole thing. So let's back up the microscope and look at the whole lesson for just a minute. Here's what we have here as we zoom out. You have the Apostle Paul using every single word that he can think of to speak about the bonitas, the goodness of God. So we have the Apostle Paul in this lesson speaking about God's mercy. And we have the Apostle Paul speaking about God's love. And we have the Apostle Paul speaking about God's unlimited patience. And really all of these words are synonyms, aren't they? They, they mean the exact same thing, just different facets of a diamond. God's mercy is for those who need mercy, who are in a miserable, sinful state. God's love is undeserved, and yet we still get it. And His patience is all about a punishment that will be put off forever. This lesson is all about God's love. It's the essential gospel. And if we could just look at this text in a bigger way again, what we have here are two sections, right? And right in the middle of the two sections, and the NIV helpfully sets it apart. If you look there on page 8. Helpfully sets it apart. Right in the middle of it are two key phrases. The Apostle Paul says twice, I was shown mercy. That's the very heart of the lesson right there. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul is circling the drain. Or he's getting sucked into this black hole because of his sins. And when he hits it, he finds Jesus' cross. And he comes shooting out the other side of the sufferings of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' perfect life. He comes shooting out the other side of the drain. The black hole, perfect and holy and innocent in God's eyes. Because Jesus lives right in the middle. Here's what the Apostle Paul, here's right in the middle. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And because I don't want this sermon to get too long, I'm not going to do it, but we could. Every single word in that sentence is worth a sermon. Every single one. Jesus, the only saving name, came into the world. In other words, He was outside of the world. He was God Himself from all eternity. But He came into the world, into our sin and into our death, into our corruption, to save us. And why did He come? For you. And for me. And for every single sinner 
even if we're not aware of our sin. This is why we're going to spend the next weeks getting to know this letter and to understand what we're calling the essential gospel. This sermon series is for those whose hearts are down. That you would be encouraged. This sermon series is for those who have guilt, that guilt would be relieved and nailed to the cross. This sermon series is for those who need to learn to hope again. This sermon series is for all of us. It's the essential gospel. Amen. Please stand.